Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. is up everybody my name is james d fury and this is black Bull. um listen i've had a very strange day today <clears throat> for the for the second time in like five years my phone was on vibrate and i kept on hearing this sound and i'm looking around my house and i'm trying to find my phone obviously it's on some sort of surface and obviously someone's trying to get a hold of me couldn't find it all of a sudden, I hear, all I hear again in like five minutes is, mm, mm. where the fuck is my phone? So then I find my phone, and I'm holding onto it, and I'm looking, and I'm like, no one's called. And while I'm holding the phone, all I hear is, mm, mm. it was a cow from across the street. That's right. I thought a cow was my cell phone. So I'm like... I, I need to improve this day. I need to, to get as far away from the vibrating cow as possible. And I need to figure out what I'm going to do tonight. And so I decided that I wanted to have one of those shows. And there's a few people that I put in this slot where uh, I have a show where I'm like, oh, this is so comfortable. I don't have to like, you know, prepare all that much because I know this person. I know what I like to talk about with this person. I have other guests that are like that. Spenny, for example, I, I don't prepare when it's Spenny because we have such a really good rapport. So on that note, I would like to present my guest for today, and her name is Karima Sad. Karima, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm trying not to go crazy because of the vibrating phone thing. Was the cow is, okay? What was its He, he was just mooing. Okay. <laughs> he was okay. He was sitting around, just looked up at me, chewing his caw and mooing. So it was weird. How are you? I haven't spoken to you in a while. I'm good. I'm good. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, uh, other than the fact that I don't have to prepare much because I know what we want to talk about, but um, I was saying to you on the phone earlier today that um, in the culture wars that a lot of people call it, um, most people pick a side. Uh, and, and there's good reason for that, that people have principles or people have uh, hang-ups or whatever, and they feel that one side is, is, is more appropriate to join than the other. I feel like we're kind of more like spectators um, watching the culture war kind of unfold in front of us. And so I wanted to start to show a little bit light and, uh, and talk about um, Jonah Hill. <laughs> that's how we're, we're going to lead off the show today. All right. 
I, I know. It's not something that I would normally talk about. I don't really talk about celebrity news all that much, if at all. Uh, when, I'm in, when I'm on other people's shows, I sort of do. But I, I saw Jonah Hill trending for like two or three days, and finally I clicked it, and I'm just like... Actually, I, I think I, I, I posted something the first day, but he kept on trending. And he posted... or He didn't post anything, actually. He, he sent a private message, I guess, to his ex. And I guess she's a surfer, and her Instagram is... Um, you know, her in bathing suits and, and, and showing herself surfing. I think she's a surf instructor or something like that. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what, what did he say? So he said this. This is like a private message that, that she had published for some reason. And he wrote to his ex, I think they were together at the time, plain and simple. If you need surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men, to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to post sexual pictures, friendships with women who are un, in unstable places, and from your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful, I am not the right partner for you. If these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it, and there will be no hard feelings. The, these are my boundaries for romantic partnership. My boundaries with you is based on, these, on the ways these actions have hurt our trust. The problem that, I don't have a problem with any of this actually. I actually don't care at all. But um, my breakup sounds like a lot worse than that, right? So, but, it was one of those, the reason why I'm bringing it up even is because it was one of those issues that, that made people plant flags on their side of the culture war. One side was like, you know, she doesn't sound like she's a decent human being at all if she wants to do, engage in all that activity. I support Jonah. And the other side was like, he's a misogynist. And I was just kind of like, he sounds like a guy with self-esteem issues. Probably because he's formerly like a chubby guy. I was formerly a chubby guy. I know what that's like. And also has trust issues. But then I was like, are his trust issues kind of confirmed by the fact that she published a private message from him hmm. like long after they broke up and, uh, you know, kind of trying to embarrass him like that? And so anyways, I thought I'd start the show out really fluffy and ask you what you thought about that situation. Well, I, like you, uh, don't care but it's been sort of on my feed. Um, yeah. So I, I suppose I, I've had kind of a vantage point where I'm watching people react to this. And it's almost like this is one of those inkblot tests and people mm. see in it themselves and will project their own history onto just the text that we're seeing, right? I did that. <laughs> Right. So that's, and that's a totally normal reaction um, and very human of us, I think, to try and relate things to our own circumstances. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I've heard different things along the lines of what you said. Um, on the one hand, um, people, particularly women, um, who have been pursued by typically men um, and then sort of made to feel that they the way they are is is not correct and needs to change and it's this whole idea of chasing after the wild bird so you can cage it right and and so i think that there's people who saw that and um understandably so i think that's a fairly common phenomenon in in relationships where you know, the idea of boundaries or that language or kind of therapy talk is almost weaponized to the point mm. of 
um, it's not actually a boundary and you knew who I was going into this. So now how are you asking me to change? Um, and then the, the flip side to that is, you know, people's needs, they may not be immediately in touch with them. Um, and it's fair to sort of put out expectations. Um, and, you know, the way that this was phrased, we don't have a ton of context, mm. but as long as it's not manipulative. And, and so some people see manipulation in these words, others don't. I think it's interesting that this happens sort of two years, three, like right after the fact, right? The, it looked yeah. like that was a message from 2021. She said she waited to release it until his current wife or girlfriend, whatever she is, had her baby. And I'm just like, that, that seems like a good reason to just not like it. Let's not pretend that this is out of concern for the current partner. Right. right. Um, because if it was, this would be a conversation behind closed doors, not one that is taking place on social media. So I think that's a bit disingenuous um, from some of what I've perused. It sounds like maybe he moved on too quickly for her liking after they parted ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, a resentment there that built up. Um, people want different things at different stages, and sometimes it just isn't meant to be. Um, yeah, I, I go back to my original point of I don't care. Um, but having been at n- not at the same level, obviously, but at the center of people baselessly speculating on things, um, kind of in a pylon where people will project motives or intent that really has more to do with what's going on in their lives than what they are looking at or reacting to. Um, I, the whole thing makes me a bit uncomfortable um, because there are real people in this and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the type of thing that is well suited to be parsed out on social media. Like it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of gross. Um, so I'm not like a huge fan of this. I don't think that, um, the rationale of, well, I want to help people see red flags so they know what they need. Like, I don't really see that here, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm with with you on the inkblot part. Like it it does feel like one of those litmus tests, like you're going to pick the right side for this. He's a misogynist, right? Isn't he? Isn't he? And it's just like, I don't know. I have no idea if he is or not. I, I do know what it's like. Um, I'll try to be careful with my words here, but I, I do know what it's like to be uh, the the victim of a dishonest PR campaign by an ex. Um, it's never happened to me before until this recent time. And it, when you find out what uh, what's being said, you're, you're you're like gobsmacked. And you know, to put your if I put myself in in the position of, of these two people, these two, I guess one's a celebrity and the other one isn't. Um, it, it, it does feel really vindictive to just share something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know his context. You're right about the context too. The context could be anywhere from total controlling and manipulative to totally transparent and honest. It is really difficult to ascertain what's happening there. And that's why weaponizing it by making it public, I think is so wrong and and kind of nefarious it did you're you're so right it did it totally reminded me of my situation right now that just 
the vindictiveness part of it. And, and that's, I think I posted something like, uh, you know, Jonah Hill's text sounds like he has trust issues and low self-esteem. And then the publication of those texts by his ex makes me feel like he was right not to trust her. <laughs> that was kind of how I felt about it. But, um, but I, I wanted to start with that just because of the culture war stuff, because really that's what you specialize in and not the taking the side part, but in the examination. You're, you're one of my favorite um, public figures because I, I like the way that you, 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 you uh, show up at an event and just document it and then analyze it afterwards or maybe you know or talk about it afterwards and, and comment on it afterwards and if you criticize either side the other side ends up piling on you and it doesn't matter which side it is and i feel like that's when you know you're doing something right um i want i want to pivot now to 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 uh joel harden because uh, i i find it interesting uh, Set this up. Where uh, I'm about to show a clip with him in a megaphone, and I would like you to sort of like set up the story for me the way you did on the phone about where he was, what happened, and what do we think? What are we speculating uh, about when, in regards to him? Okay, so um, on June 9th in Ottawa, uh, there was a fairly large protest um, that occurred outside three public schools on Broadview Avenue. Uh, and what spurred this was uh, a man by the name of Billboard Chris, Chris Elston, uh, who. <laughs> it sounds like a, it's, he sounds like a, uh, a guest on Lachlan's show, Billboard Chris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he could be, he yeah. very well could be. Um, he, he had for the past decade or so um, has been touring across North America and beyond, I believe. Um, talking about gender ideology. Um, and he has some very strong views um, on a range of things, which um, some people find objectionable and other people agree with him. Um, so that's kind of... We're what in what this, side is he on? Um, he, he's on the side um, of, you know, children can't consent to puberty blockers um, all the way up to, you know, kids shouldn't be exposed to gender ideology, which he, he terms fairly broadly. Um, and so that means a whole bunch of different things to different people. Um, and some construe it as being hateful. Um, so he intends to, he announces that he's showing up in Ottawa. Um, he's going to be joined by a group called Save Canada, um, which, you know, is purportedly youth-led um, and kind of on the same side of issues as him. Um, and they are faced by counter-protesters uh, who show up to oppose this messaging. Uh, and unlike most other events that I've personally covered, uh, in this instance, um, you know, there were two large groups. It wasn't overwhelmingly uh, one group outnumbering the others. Um, and, and so that kind of set the stage for tension, right? Um, and depending on who you ask, uh, very different perceptions of what was actually happening on the ground. 
Um, and Joel Harden comes into this because uh, on, on the same day, he posted a picture of himself um, with a cut on his cheek um, and a caption that implied that he got punched in the face um, by a protester and that he would take a punch for queer kids any day. Um, Here, I'm just going to show that picture just because uh, I think it's obviously relevant to what we're talking about. <clears throat> and uh, he, he, the funny thing is about the picture is that when, when people look at it, it he almost looks happy. <laughs> you know? Um, so here's the picture of Joel Harding. Again, he is the... Uh, the on uh, the NDP MPP for Ottawa Center, mm-hmm. and this is the picture that he posted. So, just for those listening, uh, it is a uh, just like a little nick underneath his his eye, about an inch underneath his right eye. Okay, go ahead. So people saw this, um, and people who were there kind of were like, "When did you get punched in the face? When did that happen?" Um, and he provides an explanation to Yahoo News that's basically, you know, I was breaking up a fight between two women and then, you know, I felt something and then I got punched in the face and it all happened so quickly. Um, But it didn't really add up. And I guess this is the lead in to the footage where my my videographer happened to catch this um, and it, it, it's basically Joel's megaphone hitting his face in in basically the same spot um, as this injury. Okay, let's show that. Does he actually have a, a rainbow Band-Aid over top of it? He does. Um, so there's also um, speculation that the cut that he has that we showed in the previous picture was already there. And this rainbow bandaid was placed over it to hide it. Um, and it's just bad luck that he hits himself in exactly the same spot. I don't know. Um, right. and, and like the, the video cuts off because I, I slowed it down so you could see, um, the megaphone making contact, um, on a podcast that I put out, I put a longer version of the video. So it's clear that nobody has, shoved this megaphone into his face when i initially released this short clip the narrative changed from eyewitnesses who said well you know what we actually saw was joel having this megaphone punched into his face um so the story shifted a little bit um well it's an extension of him so why would i clarify that you know it's the same thing as being punched in the face Okay. It's really not, though. It's really not. It, it, can I just want to interject for a second? It, it feels like one of those situations where, and, and Joel Harden could be a rabid right winger, and the symptoms of uh, just being so tunnel visioned um, would be the same. Which is, oh, I'm I'm here at something I'm being very, really vocal about. Uh, I'm going to make sure people knew I was here, and I'm going to make it a little bit about me. Um, virtue signaling my love for this community that I'm trying to protect. Uh, and and what, what makes me um, suspicious about people like him is that, it, it, and this is me speculating, th- there is often a vibe of the ends justify the means because you're on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. And I think we're suffering from a lot of that. 
right now. Yeah, yeah. A lot of self-righteousness um, where it's not really warranted um, because everyone's kind of fucked up, right? Yeah. So if we could just keep that in mind and it applies to ourselves, to others, and just like chill. Everyone needs to chill. Um, anyway, so in response to this, like I said, some of the eyewitnesses changed their version of the story, um, shifted it slightly, or new people came out saying, well, that's what I saw. The megaphone punched his face. Hmm. Um, and then Joel put out um, a lengthier explanation, explain it, and he sort of doubled down on this idea that, you know, there were two women, you know, there was hair pulling going on, he gets in between them, and he's holding the megaphone, and then the woman, you know, hits it into his face, and that's what he meant by getting punched in the face. Um, but the problem is that in this rally, there were hundreds of cameras out, right? And, and not everyone is recording every second. So it's totally conceivable and plausible that things did not get captured on video that actually took place. However, there was only one recorded hair pulling incident. Um, and if you want to pull that up. Yeah. What did we just watch there? And I'll play it again after you tell me what we just watched. So that uh, the, the person in the blue cape is a counter protester. Um, moments before this interaction, she actually reached out with this rainbow pinwheel, hit the guy in the fox outfit, um, smacked the lady whose hair is being pulled. Um, so it created this tussle. So it's it's, first of all, not at all what Joel Harden described as far as a protester being the one to instigate and agitate. It, it's hard to respond. tell which side people are on in that clip. <laughs> well, no that's, isn't that the, Hold on, I'm going to play, I'm going to, I'm going to play it again. I'm going to pause it. <laughs> okay. So let's just, okay. We, the woman in the cape, is she like pro, I don't know, LGBTQ or anti? I can't tell. Well, uh, She's on the side of the 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 quote unquote guardians or defenders um, of the children. Okay. Um, so that, that's Dina Sharif, um, and she is very extra. Uh, and and from her own live stream, again, you can tell that she's the one who instigated this encounter um, yeah. and apparently got smacked in the face with a Bible um, by the woman whose hair she's pulling down. Haven't here. we all? In one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the that's that's what's happening in this clip. But the thing is, Joel Harden was wearing a rainbow blazer, um, and there's nobody in a rainbow blazer here. So I he claimed that he was there when it ha when all this happened. I don't think he was. Did but he claimed he was. He claimed he was. Well, he no, he claimed that he got between two women who were pulling hair. Mind you, there's only one woman pulling hair here, um, right. but there were no other documented hair pulling incidents. No one I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot of people on both sides of this divide, um, none of them saw another hair pulling incident. The guy with the megaphone here, that's Toby Whitfield. He's the executive director of Capital Pride, um, which 
you know, they receive public funds and private donations to put on the Ottawa Pride Parade, like Pride activities. They've been um, partnered with some of the drag story time at the National Art Center. Um, so he's like right in the thick of this, um, but Joel is nowhere to be seen. Um, so it just like the the fact that there was a megaphone supposedly hitting him that came out of nowhere, hair pulling, um, you know, this contact with his face, th those three things did not happen simultaneously at the protest, as far as I can tell. Right. And so I'm just putting, putting, playing it sort of in slow motion here. And who's the guy in the yellow? That's Freedom Fox guy, uh, who is a protester. Um, so he has shown up at different events across, I would say, pretty much eastern Ontario. So Peterborough, Ottawa. Um, and his shtick is that he wears uh, a fox costume. Um, listen, as a, per <laughs> as a person who, um, who's had his own struggles with mental health, I swear to God, I don't mean this in a flippant manner, but... I feel like both sides are represented by people who have some serious problems. Yeah, that's. I mean, we have furries and caped crusaders, <laughs> and and you know people that are really extra vocal. It, it, none of them can fight, obviously, right? Like like they all sort of like just pile in. Like they look like basketball, but you know when basketball players fight, they're kind of like you know they don't they don't really fight. Limbs flailing, kind of yeah, uselessly. I, I, I'm 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 worried that we are uh, one of the issues that we're kind of um, skimming over. Not me and you, but the royal you that or the royal we that we're skimming over is that the pandemic created uh, or or helped exacerbate existing mental health issues and created mm -hmm. a whole new sect of more mental health issues. Because I I, I am not um, taken aback by any of these protests i i i am not um i i haven't yet to see even if i believe in the issue i the representation of that issue who's for that issue those aren't people that i really want to align with and that's why i feel more like a spectator when you go out and you document these events and thank you for doing that by the way because i'm glad somebody is taking a perspective that isn't just like pro or anti um, are you finding that it is becoming uh, pretty clear that the, the people that are representing these sides have other things going on in their lives that maybe they need to deal with? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that's a very uh, accurate statement. Um, now, that's not to say that um, people who are genuinely interested in a particular cause don't themselves show up right and and may not have these underlying or overt issues going on um but it, it's sort of off-putting right um and and i think uh, from my observation one of two things happens um either people uh, decide that it's distasteful and not for them and they don't attend these types of events um or they find themselves being radicalized um, and the radicalization happens largely online, um, but also in person, because there's like an element of trauma bonding to this, because no matter which side of, of the divide you're on, um, you feel like you're under siege. 
And, and we can talk about like the human rights case for uh, these guys versus those guys. Um, everyone is engaging in hyperbole. So you can't really rely on their assessments of each other. Uh, it's just, that's what it is. Um, and I get a lot of flack for uh, making false equivalencies between both sides or both sides of them. Um, a, a lot of what I do is comment on tactics, right? Um, so I don't, uh, sometimes I will engage in the substance of an argument. Um, but as far as tactics are concerned, um, I, I think everyone should be held to the same level of scrutiny, regardless of your cause. Um, and, you know, that that's not everyone agrees with that. And some will take it as an affront um, to be critiqued or closely examined because they're on the right side. Um, but I, I don't think that it's a net benefit to society if we start adopting the ends justify the means approach because like the the winds of of politics they they can change very very easily so the more that we normalize bad behavior uh you know and it's going to be like a shocked pikachu face when the same tactics are used against you right yeah, when you have, uh, and I used to trick people um, when, uh, you know, like a decade ago, because I've been writing about polarization for so fucking long. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of it on so many different levels, but I know that it's a problem that won't go away. Um, and I don't know how to, how to help get rid of it, but uh, because I see it as, a, uh, as, as the disease um, and, and these sort of protest and counter protest and tactics and ends justify the means as the symptom of that disease. Um, it becomes uh, not a crusade, but like, or a mission even, but I, 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 it's frustrating being the spectator because um, on, on certain issues, I, 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 I want to now like not give a fuck about either position and just come up with solutions that sort of satisfy both sides, but have nothing to do with what they're representing. So just to give you an example of that, um, the, the trans women in bathroom issue, I don't think that we should be arguing about whether or not male-bodied people should be in women's bathrooms because neither side wants to budge on that. I think the solution to that is that from here on forward, every single public bathroom should just be a singular unit. And that way we don't have to share anything ever again. By the way, I would support that with... If trans people didn't even exist, I would support that because I don't understand why we have to make peeing and pooing a communal event so really so so oh i, I see what you're yeah, saying yeah so you uh, take I mean, the argument away from yeah. them and you're like listen go back to your little play corners and here's how we'll deal with this we'll take away the argument now you guys don't have to fight about it you know and, and i think and, and to me that is if we can find those kinds of solutions to these problems like i have one for the the drag story time thing i don't care if drag queens uh um you know, tell stories uh, for, for kids. Um, just make sure, like, say they go to, a, like, a, a school, and that school has within it a dress code for teachers and students. The person reading the story just has to adhere to whatever the dress code is in that school, mm -hmm. and then you guys don't have to fight about it anymore. I feel like people would both still attack you anyways. Like, they'd be like, drag queens shouldn't be in talking to kids. That's the one side. The other side would be like, what kind of puritanical fucking, you know, position is that? 
And it's just like, I don't know. I just don't want to hear you guys fucking bicker about it anymore. You know, like to your point, I think that kind of going back to basics, right? Like first principles, um, particularly like we have a whole human rights law framework that's actually very decent in Canada. Um, and it is equipped to address and resolve a lot of these issues. Um, there's a balancing act when it comes to competing rights. Um, there's no hierarchy of human rights. Mm. Uh, and there's a need to accommodate to the point of undue hardship. So all of those concepts, right, like they have to be fleshed out based on specific facts. So I'm being a bit overly simplistic when I say, you know, we just apply the framework because you can argue anything one way or the other. That's the whole nature of law, basically. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it, if we can center ourselves on that, I think that it, it saves a lot of hassle and headache and politicization uh, because ultimately uh, on this issue in particular, uh, I, I think that it does a disservice to marginalized people to have ignorant ideas being spouted and uh, amplified as if they have legitimacy on either end of this. Um, and it, it, you know, the, the fear mongering that occurs that has some basis in reality to the extent that uh, it makes the world less safe because there's clownish behavior and representatives uh, who are distorting issues. Um, so I, I like it's very frustrating to see and watch and, you know, to say things like that and then be characterized as hateful or, you know, uh, a rube for Trudeau or like it's just it, those are all thought terminating tactics, right? It's like mental shortcuts that lead us to dead ends. And yet people insist on them because it's easy and they're lazy. Yeah. It's, it's, that's really a good point because it's interesting. Um, sometimes you can, uh, you can cause a person's brain to basically, uh, collapse in on itself. If you, if you frame an issue with nuance and, and, and sort of factual information that runs against their narrative. And I, I, I'm not even going to look at the comments when I say this. I, I'm, I'm, I get tired of people. Like if, if I talk about, uh, anything that has to do with the trans issue, I like here we go. Oh, oh James up, 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 and and I just actually consider those people part of the problem. But um, and even if they're regular viewers that are about to do it, sorry, but you know it's better to listen sometimes than to assume. Um, in Canada, uh, right now, um, and for the last X amount of years, uh, if you're a, a, a biological male, you can be sent to women's prisons if you identify as as, as a woman. Um, it happens. Um, I have a problem with that because I just don't think you should introduce penises to rape crisis centers and women's prisons and things like that because, you know, because biological males rape women. Like, just, and, and even saying that, I'm all hesitant because people are like, transphobe when you say it, but it's just factual, right? But where you make their heads implode is when you tell them that disproportionately indigenous women are represented in prisons like well disproportionately like it's it's they make up like 50 percent or something like that of prisoners or something in this country um 
you add on top of that that Canadian uh, the the Canadian prisons don't keep statistics on trans women assaulting women in women's prisons because it is documented as uh, female on female assault. So you can't even like ascertain through the data if there's a problem. And then the people that end up getting victimized um, by and large are indigenous women. And if you try, I've tried to bring that up with, with gender activists before, not in a way that's like, but it's just like, actually, have you ever thought of maybe this angle of this issue? And they get just, they just dismiss it. They just get really angry. Like, can you show me the statistics that say that trans women assault women and females? I'm like, no, but the reason why is because they don't actually keep those statistics, you know? And so, so I think that like part of the pushback to that line of, of thinking is the idea that it, it, it presumes that um, trans women are, have a higher propensity for such crimes, right? But the, the issue, in my view, um, is that if there aren't sufficient checks and balances, then it is something that a criminally minded person, because we're talking about criminals, um, is able to exploit and take advantage of, um, and sort of that's that's the problem. It's not in my mind that it's not a trans issue. Uh, trans women are inherently da- like that's not no that, the case, that and people right? never understand that it's not a it's not a it's not a critique against trans people. It is say, and I've been saying this for so long that I'm, I'm almost tired of hearing myself say it. But that whole um, what you just said that that sometimes criminals will exploit loopholes in our system. Right. That's what they do. That's what criminals fucking do, whether it's welfare. Yeah, I, I've worked with my fair share of criminals. Um, and I that is the case, especially in a prison context, because yeah. prison sucks. Um, so if you are able to make your situation marginally better uh, by hook or by crook, yeah. and especially if you're in for a long time, that is something that is open to abuse. And so it's not that, and I think people also opine on this without actually having a lot of information, uh, certainly without ever having stepped foot in a jail or a prison, mm-hmm. um, right? And, and so, you know, I invite folks to examine their own talking points um, and you know, give yourself room to think and grow. And that's not pushing anyone in one particular direction or another. Like my opinion, like it doesn't really matter what I think, but people who are very loud on their opinions on stuff, uh, you know, the, the loudest people aren't always the most informed yeah. uh, has been my general observation. But Jen Waddell uh, says, stop cis men from pretending to be trans to get into women's prisons would be how I'd word it. Checks and balances. That's the exact argument that, I, that a lot of us have been making for a long time. Um, it's not a trans issue. It's that cisgendered heterosexual men co-opt the trans identity in order to victimize women. And that to me is a pro-trans argument. Because I, what we're trying to do is rid uh, the trans communities of fraudulent, cisgendered, heterosexual men who want to co-opt it uh, and make problems for everybody. 
that is such a reasonable argument i think like it's it's just and it's not difficult i i hear i saw someone say i i, I glanced at a comment about five minutes ago and someone's saying you know oh it doesn't happen it actually does it, and it's really easy to find cases in the uk and in the united states and even a couple in canada where they were where they actually reported on it about male-bodied prisoners raping women in prisons and then inevitably, if you, if you see that argument through with somebody else, you'll get like, oh, well, trans women get raped in male prisons. As if the only choice you have... Nobody should be raping anyone that's, in prison. That's right. Right? That's, so that's like the real fundamental correct. issue here. Yes. Why do we have a system where that's even possible yeah. or expected yeah. to have happen, right? Because women also rape women in prison. But like sexual and, and guards rape women or right. men in prison. So there's all this like. But this male body, assault. but transferring a male bodied, and I'm sorry, I'm not saying trans women because again, I am saying that often. And the Karen White case in the UK is probably the most famous case. But there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of these examples um, of of men who have been convicted of sexual violence against women, self iding as a woman the system just saying you must be infallible because you're talking about an issue that I'm afraid to disagree with you on. So go ahead to the women's prisons and invariably someone ends up getting raped. So the policy of, of self ID is creating the Trojan horse for predatory cis men to then go exploit women in women's prisons and rape crisis centers and things like that. And you can't make that point. And, and I love it when people are like, it's such a small percentage. And it's just like, you created with that policy a new pool of raped women. And now you're like, the percentage is small because again, one rape for me is too many. How many is too many for you? And then it becomes like, oh, you're transphobic and blah, blah, blah. It is so, it's, it's such bullshit. And this is why um, people get so upset about this issue. It's not about um, hating trans people. It's about the infallibility complex for activists on this issue in particular is like, it goes like this. Uh, nobody would ever lie about being trans. That's one thing that they believe. Um, trans women are women. And I'm really sorry. And I know I'm going to get hate for this. No, they're fucking not. They are um, trans women and women are two different categories that deserve the same set of rights, but they are decidedly different. Uh, it is it is an existential abstract idea that um, X Y and X S X X chromosome people are identical. It, it just it doesn't pass the biology test. It is a it's it's a mental and emotional game, and and it really it does a lot of damage because you can be allies with women and trans women and men and trans trans men, and you can think of them all as equal, but different. And, and I don't know why that turned into bigotry. And maybe you even disagree on it, but at least we can probably have a conversation about it because I'm trying to explain it in a way where people understand that, A, I'm clearly not a religious person. B, I know trans people exist. But C, I think I want to make sure that as many women don't get raped as possible by dealing with this issues and all the ancillary stuff that goes on because of this issue. I think part of the problem is reducing complex issues to slogans, right? And sort of that Tumblr form of activism that doesn't really allow for analysis or nuance. 
Uh, another problem is that we have systems that perpetuate uh, abuse uh, in like at every level. Right? We've talked about jails, um, but we could talk about practically any institution um, and have or identify similar issues. Um, and then it, it's a matter of what's politically expedient, hmm. right? Um, and who is who? Who are the vulnerable or marginalized populations? And often there's more than one group to consider simultaneously. Um, and how do we balance those rights? And who is advocating for who? And, and who is getting the short end of the stick because of uh, what is easy and you've sort of alluded to cowardice uh, i think that that's we're in a time where uh, people are susceptible to that like groupthink has always been an issue um i think throughout the course of human history um and you know this is all happening of course in a context where there are false equivalencies drawn between Canadian and American politics. Hmm. And so people look south of the border and say, well, we don't want that happening here. Um, and then policies are adopted that don't actually reflect um, the needs of Canadians. Um, so, you know, it, it that that's, I am someone who is relatively new to the, I, been a woman all my life um but these are new issues and you know it, it's also they are there's landmines because people if you don't adopt a certain talking point um or position or view um it, there's this tendency to cast you as well the the other or the enemy um and again not exclusive to any issue or any end of the political spectrum. Um, but it, it makes it hard to have good faith conversations. Uh, and, and what further complicates that is that there are people who aren't out to discuss in good faith and are actually um, intentionally spreading misinformation, disinformation, um, bigotry, and, and that muddies the waters, right? Um, so it's just like this total cesspool where we try to extricate ourselves. And again, the, the, the guiding principles should be those of human rights. Um, and if we can keep ourselves grounded in that, you know, we have the best chance of success and dignity for everyone, but it, it doesn't always play out that way because that takes hard work. Are, are you, you might not be, uh, you might not agree with this, but I feel like uh, activists and, and um, activists that represent certain issues do go through a period of time where the media and corporations and, um, you know, the general public at large uh, will hoist upon them infallibility status. Like you cannot criticize certain things. Like, and so the example I would give was uh, in 2020, uh, Black Lives Matter was like, I had never actually seen anything like that in my life. And there was such a fantastic upside to the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And uh, one of the things I think is, uh, first of all, Colin Kaepernick uh, taking a knee protest was probably the most impressive single person protest I had ever seen in my entire life. It was 
I thought heroic. Um, and the reason why is because, <clears throat> you know, no ambulances couldn't get to a hospital because people blocking bridges, you know, there were no like, you know, uh, it wasn't violent, you know, it wasn't um, needlessly kind of uh, aggressive or anything like that. And it still raised the ire of, of racists, especially in the United States. But uh, that's almost a good thing but in a way, because it's just it was one guy taking a knee and I thought it was amazing. Um, and, and I want to pivot into the anti-hate network for a second uh, after this, because I think it applies to them. When organizations are named, when, they, when you title an organization um, using a phrase that every sensible person should agree with, it does create an infallibility cloak over top of the organization. So Black Lives Matter. As a phrase, I fucking agree. Black Lives Matter. Um, I don't... I would never say all lives matter because that misses the point entirely. It 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 it, it is a perfect succinct phrase uh, to to um, spotlight the idea that uh, minorities in the United States uh, have uh, for hundreds of years have been um, killed, raped, enslaved, discriminated against, uh, mistreated, uh, murdered by cops. Da 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 da, and, and it's very succinct. Um, I, so I put that in that pile over there. The organization Black Lives Matter, I think, should be open for criticism, even in 2020. But the media didn't agree. Corporations didn't agree. The public at large didn't agree. It was impossible to just be like, maybe the tactics of Black Lives Matter sometimes aren't perfect. Fuck you, racist. It was, it was, it was really like that for a long time. The anti-hate network. How can you disagree with, with that? Are you not anti-hate? Well, of course I am. Uh, Antifa, what are you, pro-fascist? No, I'm not pro-fascist. I just don't like the organization. So we're seeing that a lot, I think. Uh, uh, organizations that call themselves something where you would have to be an asshole to disagree with the phrase, um, and it shields them often from criticisms uh, from from people that are just trying to figure, where, figure out where they stand on the issue. Have you seen the same thing? Yeah, no, I, I think that um, that's very much a thing that takes place. Um you know, it, it, it's the same with the freedom movement. What are you, anti-freedom? Right. Exactly. Right? Like, so these concepts that are legitimate and good and pure get sullied um, because people are imperfect. And because people are imperfect, that it, it's necessary to have criticism and constructive criticism, right? It's not, that's not the same as, tearing someone down or something just for the sake of mm -hmm. it. Um, but, you know, people mess up um, and we have to be able to identify that and learn from it and do better. Um, instead, it's it, that becomes kind of the hill to, to die on. Um, and it's it's unhelpful, um, to say the least. Um, yeah, it, it, I had something else. Um, anti-hate no it's, it's 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 just yeah yeah the um it it's it's gone back to like i find and it's funny because i i used to be the opposite but um i'm clearly not a communist or anything like that i i don't really know what i am i, I just want people to be good to each other but the all these groups for the most part um with the exception maybe of anti-hate because bernie farber does sort of have a profile in public or whatever they're all, no one can name the leaders. 
I don't know the no one really knows the leader of Black Lives Matter. Is there a leader? No one really knows the leader of uh, pro gender activists. Like if you were to put a figurehead up there, who would be that person? And I it's movements, right? Per, so there's figures within movements, but it's it's not organizations per se. I totally like. And, 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 and do and, we need do we need that? Because it's hard for um, people like myself. I've been trying. I, I had been trying for a while uh, back before I had a podcast and maybe right at the beginning when I had a podcast to interview leaders from these activist group. And they largely just say no, not just to me. You'd be hard pressed to go to YouTube right now and find national interviews of the leader of Black Lives Matter or the leader of the freedom movement or whatever, because I think what they've realized is if they give the public a leader to crucify, that leader will be crucified and it will be a bad look for the organization. So instead they basically freeze out the media. They don't give the public a leader to crucify. And then what seems to happen is that um, a, they become disorganized or corrupt. Um, the black lives matter leaders in the United States, both ended up buying mansions in neighborhoods with the white supremacists that they hated. Right. Like, and, and there was uh, accusations of embezzlement of money or whatever. You know, like the story was out for a while and then it kind of went away. I don't know if anyone really cared, but you know, what do we need leaders? And, 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 and is the downside that, that they are trying to avoid a reasonable position to have if you're an organization? I think we need to not put people on pedestals. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's number one. Uh, we do need accountability though. And the easiest route to accountability is to have sort of a person, right? And we're used to hierarchies in most institutions that we deal with. Um, so I think that's the default assumption that who's in charge here that we can, you know, put their feet to the fire. Um, and, and that's not always conducive to movements that are grassroots or um, sort of going with the flow or the tide of, of the population. Um, and, and the other thing is that it creates a landscape that's very fertile for certain types of personalities to step in. Um, and ha, there we go. Charismatic narcissists, right? Like that it creates openings for them to develop their own followings, pursue their own ambitions, mm -hmm. whether it's material interests or, you know, they do it for uh, like that queen, glory, that queen right? Medallo or whatever her name is. Uh, Romana Digilo. Yes. Yeah. Um, totally. Right. I, I can list off dozens of them who I've encountered um, in the freedom movement and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um the other, just going back to your your point about kind of the the use of names to shield oneself from criticism, um, there's also like overcorrection, I think, that takes place. And that's probably why the media was so reluctant to put anyone under a, mag a magnifying glass because media itself is complicit um, in a lot of the harm that Black Lives Matter, for example, was complaining about, right? Mm -hmm. And so flipping, and, and the same goes for corporations um, and how they sort of will appropriate causes um, and make these grand donations or, you know, change their social media avatars in support of something 
or have a float in a parade, right? Performative gestures that really don't uh, address the root issues um, and the ways that those organizations um, profit from and replicate patterns of oppression. Um, and, And so it's easier to say, well, don't criticize these guys um, because it, it that's just it, it shuts down the avenue of the real conversations um, and all activism I think is plagued with this at the moment where it gets co-opted by meaningless nonsense um, and, and we get yeah. further and further from the material issues that need to be addressed there might even be um, a cause and effect here because uh Again, the Black Lives Matter example is just the easiest one. Um, but, you know, they, they are um, treated as an organization. And again, I'm separating the organization from the issue they represent and the phrase that titles their organization. I am compartmentalizing those things. The issue they represent, I am full on in support of, uh, uh, of society um, creating um, equality of opportunity, uh, in some cases equity, you know, I, I obviously I, I am for that, but maybe the lack of leader or the uh, the unwillingness for the media or the public at large or whatever well-meaning people to criticize these organizations lead to their corruption, like, you know, embezzling millions of dollars to buy mansions. Maybe if they had a leader and they had some sort of sense of accountability, because that's what falls away, right? Like. I don't see the anti-hate network in Canada as an accountable organization. I feel like they probably imagine themselves with capes on getting free federal money to go do a job that nobody criticizes them for. Because if you do, you get fucking attacked. Mm-hmm. There's a problem here. And, and I think it's pretty obvious what the problem is. Do we have a solution? Can we even theorize a solution? I don't know, man. It beats me. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of go at, at like the problem is that the only solutions that come to my mind um, put a lot of onus on individual people who aren't always um, that smart, right? Mm-hmm. Or have the bandwidth because there's a million other things going on. So it's not realistic to expect someone to research you know, a a bunch of different issues and come to thoughtful conclusions on each of them and have the skill set to sort of do media analysis. And this is a legitimate source. And this one is less trustworthy. And this one, you know, is total garbage, we should actually believe the opposite. Like, we're still in the age of oh, the CRA texted me and they want me to send them a gift card. Okay, I better go to the dollar, like, right? So- I want my air ducts clean, but Jesus, you know? (laughs) Right, so so my, like the solution is for everyone to just kind of pull up their socks and think a little bit more, right? Stop being lazy with your thinking, Um, but that's perhaps unrealistic. So then it, it turns to, well, you know, who has, power in situations and in what ways can they like wield that power to be beneficial and not self-serving but actually forward thinking and and our whole political system is designed to not do that right like our political leaders should be boring and 
pretty much like studious yeah. and publicly inclined, right? Like it, it's counterintuitive, like to have charismatic because it's a different skill set, right? Um, and mm. uh, just our system isn't designed for that. None of our institutions are. So like in that sense, it's all kind of fucked up. But um there might be light at the end. I don't know, I'm trying to find an optimistic thing to end on there. <laughs> well, but uh... <laughs> that would, to me, tough medicine is optimistic, right? Like, yeah, just yeah. Jen says it. Everyone just stop being so, you know, dumb. Dumb. Yeah. Um. Th there is a um. There might be a light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, writing about these issues, and I, I am, co I'm contrarian, not for the sake of it. People think I am because the environment that we live in right now. If I criticize issues that I agree with, I'm immediately identified as being like mega or something like that, right? So, but I think what people don't realize is that the, we, there is a silent majority and, and I would probably use the word apathetic majority more so than silent, right? Like, but a big per chunk of that middle who, who don't, who can see the kind of crazy on both sides are fucking afraid to say something. I take my mm -hmm. beatings. You take your beatings when you when you criticize a side that say the media happens to agree with, and we take our licks with you. The anti hate network with me. It was Black Lives Matter. You agree that people shouldn't hate people, and I agree that um, that black people uh, need uh, more uh, equality and equity, and we need to uh, figure out how to make things fair in society and and repair systemic racist institutions and all that. Like we agree with the underlying the underpinnings of the issue. But the but people are afraid. Like, how many times have you gotten uh, a a DM or a text where it was like, "Hey, Karima, I I agree with your criticism of such and such a person, um, but I don't want to say so publicly because I might get fired." Totally, to, that happens all the it time. It happens all the time to people like us, and those are the people that need to stop being afraid. I think to talk because it, at first they're going to get attacked. But then when more and more join them, I think people are going to realize, oh, maybe it isn't transphobic to say that male-bodied prisoners shouldn't be in women's prisons. Maybe there is a nuanced argument there that isn't anti-trans or anti-women or anything like that. You know, maybe criticizing Black Lives Matter leadership while still supporting the, the racial equality issue isn't a bad thing because maybe then the, the, the leaders won't buy mansions and steal money. Like... I think that that's the one thing that makes me kind of optimistic is that those. Okay. Okay. I can run with that. I can run with that. If we sort of double down on the importance of free expression mm. and free association um, and, you know, insist on that right uh, and reject the notion that we can take these mental shortcuts. And if you say that like, it means that like, no, just like, if we can insist on that, and if we can discourage people who are in that critical mass of, of not being pulled by either extreme um, from being drawn to the extremes, because I've seen that happen, um, and and that's that's the concerning part, right? The more people who get drawn to radicalism, um, the the more volatile um, and less stable like our society becomes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the remedy for that, um, 
is expression. And, you know, in, in a social media world, it's challenging because half the time we don't know if we're interacting with a real person or is this an AI bot or is this the fifth account of one individual, right? Like, so th that's hard to navigate. And it's always been the case that lies spread faster than truth. Um, but, you know, it, expression is the cornerstone of democracy um, and democracy is fragile. And we are facing these onslaughts that try to limit expression, including overbroad definitions of hate um, that, that stifle meaningful real discourse um, and, and aren't hateful. Um, so if we can push back against that, I think we have a shot. I think we do too. Uh, Kareem Asad, thank you very much for joining us today on Blackball. I always appreciate your insights and your time, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Kareem Asad, ladies and gentlemen, that was a good show. I, I, I love having her on because I never feel like I have to like edit myself. Um, you know, it's, I, I wish, uh, some, sometimes I do wish I expressed because uh, we we have a lot in common. You know what's really interesting is that the first time I appeared with uh, Karima, probably going back two and a half years ago or two years ago or something like that, on uh, the Dean Blundell show. Um, I don't remember the show. It was pre-Beard James, so I'll never watch it. Um, but we we disagreed on something. I don't remember what it was, but we disagreed on something. And I remember walking away at the time thinking, um, oh, I'm not going to get along with this person. And then after two years of knowing her, uh, I consider her a friend, and, and, and talking to her about issues like this, we don't agree on everything, but we are largely philosophically and uh, morally aligned. And we also just have that extra part of ourselves that uh, pays deference to nuance and the fact that some issues are a lot more complex than what you can put on a placard or emblazoned on a foam finger if you're mega. And I think, um, I, I think the, and she does it better than I do. And I think that people, um, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we get out of this because if we don't, like you see what's going on in the States, um, we are not that far off. We have accelerated our societal um, mimicking of the United States, especially over the last five, six years, to the point where I'm just like, I, I get worried about what Canada might be like in 20 years. Um, you know, and, and both sides do it. And and this false equivalency argument is so stupid. I'm fucking, I, no one, I don't care about equal, uh, about blame, equal blame. I, I'm not doing that. I'm saying that, that one side has a unique set of characteristics that I find fucking awful. And the other side has a unique set of characteristics that I find awful. Um, I don't care if one side is sixty percent worse than the other. It doesn't. It's such a stupid distraction. Uh, the people that don't plant a flag on either of those sides need, need to come together and start making sense, so that those sides can either dwindle in numbers or somehow find a way to reform the people in their ranks, so that um, you know less people get hurt. Um, so that's all I got to say about that. Uh, Tomorrow's interview hasn't been confirmed yet, but we are back this Friday for Casual Friday, and we will see you then on Blackball. 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 Blackball.
Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.